You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. You are back on Represent on Sin, and joining us today is a very special guest. Today we have Samantha Ratton, the leader of the Victorian Greens, a member for the North Metropolitan Region in the Legislative Council. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be talking to you all. Yeah, thanks. Obviously, it's a very crucial time um, right now. A lot of things happening. But um, yeah, tell us about like how your last couple of months have been being the leader of the Victorian Greens right now. Uh, well, it's been an exciting few months. So we're getting to the finishing line of the election campaign. Early voting starts on Monday. So if anyone wants to vote early, start on Monday, find out where your boots are. And then then election day is on the 26th of November. So there's a lot of build-up and preparation for the months before and the years before. So we finished up in Parliament around September, been on the campaign trail. It's feeling really good out there. We're getting lots of support and encouragement when we're talking to voters. And I think what's been really interesting is post the federal election, how the moods shifted. So I think people are feeling buoyed and confident given what happened in the federal election, which was... We had a change of government, you know, a long time coming for a lot of us who wanted to see that happening. But also people shifted their votes away from the major parties towards parties like the Greens and independents who cared about climate change and integrity and inequality. And we've got a change of government, plus you've got the person that represented your values and your vision who um, really promised more change than what the major parties could promise. So we're really feeling that on the election trail where people are hopeful of bigger change now and they see that it's possible. Yeah, so obviously, like, in the federal election, we saw a big, like, green slide and teal wave. Are you seeing that translate into state politics as well? From our conversations, it very much feels like there's a mood for change out there. You don't know until all those votes Mm. are counted. Um, You really don't know. But you have to talk to to as many people as you possibly can, and that's your best indicator of what people are feeling and what kind of issues they care about. And if you think about what's happened in Victoria over the last few months, especially with the floods now upon us, and that's all related to climate change, we're seeing more of these climate disaster events happening in places like Victoria everywhere. They're warning us about bushfires in the months to come. So this is going to be our new reality. And I think once people see that reality in front of their face, you know, there's no more room for denial anymore. Climate change is real. It's here. We've got to do something about it. And we saw in Queensland, when they experienced the floods and climate disaster events, people really voted with their feet and they changed how they voted because they were sick and tired of people who just kind of idled at the edges or did incremental change. They wanted people who would actually take bold action. Mm, So kind of on the climate change note, what do you think is the most important issue facing voters and what do you think the Greens can offer them? So big issues um, that we're talking to voters about and hearing back from voters, climate change being top of the bill, uh, wanting to take much faster action on reducing emissions and really importantly, one of the big challenges Victoria faces is about how we get off coal and gas. We know coal and gas are the biggest contributors to the climate crisis, yet they both major parties don't really have any plans to get off coal and gas. In fact, they're opening up new fields for gas drilling, like near the 12 Apostles. And it's, you know, it's catastrophic in the midst of a climate crisis to do that sort of thing. Issues of inequality are coming up really strongly for people. Cost of living, and we know housing is one of the biggest cost of living pressures bearing down on people. So many people who are renting who can't even find an affordable place to rent or their rents are being hiked up incredibly because we don't have any control on rents. We want to see a cap on rent increases as a starting point. And we 
we're hearing a lot about people losing trust and confidence in politicians and governments because they see scandal after scandal. So we've really got to improve the integrity of politics in general and our parliaments, and we've got some really big reforms on the table. Yeah, so strong climate action is one of the reasons that you got involved in politics in the first place. What do you think that the Greens offers particularly to young people as opposed to, say, an independent or, um, you know, Labor, obviously? So we've got plans to transition away from coal and gas in Victoria. No other party's putting those plans on the table. We want to see a big boost in renewable energy and we're starting to see the parties catch up to that, which is really good. But often ideas that the Greens put on the table, put in Parliament, put legislation before the Parliament to really encourage them and push those parties to go further and faster when it comes to climate change. We're going backwards when it comes to drilling for fossil fuels, like opening up new gas fuels. That's happened in the last couple of years in the midst of a climate crisis. So we've put on the table. We've got bills before Parliament, a plan to end coal in Victoria, have a just transition for workers and really support workers and communities who are otherwise left behind when these big international corporations who made a mozza on fossil fuels polluted the environment, pack up and go when the economic conditions aren't right for them, leaving communities in the lurch. So we've got a just transition plan for workers, a jobs for jobs guarantee for those workers who will be most affected. And they're the types of plans that we need to see to transition away from fossil fuels to a 100% renewable energy future. And just with that, sorry, um, with like, obviously the Greens have advocated to not have any new coal projects or any fossil fuels. Um, when you intertwine that with the economic struggles that Australia are probably going to face in the future, how do we find a way to have like a green energy incentivised lifestyle when combating the economic challenges we have? Because obviously Australia is so dependent on coal projects and, and on those types of energies. How, how do we kind of find the line between both of the climate change and economic Yeah, it's a really good question. And those things have to be thought through very deeply. Um, but we have solutions and we've got places right around the world who are accelerating their transition. Renewables are actually cheaper in the long term in terms of our energy costs. So that will help people with cost of living pressures if we were more reliant on renewable energy than dirty, polluting coal and gas. We know ultimately that coal and gas are going to cost the economy billions of dollars. We're going to get stuck with stranded assets because there will be no use for them anymore. There's going to be all this climate damage. Look at what's happening in the floods, how much money we have to spend cleaning up from climate disaster events. That costs money too. And if we don't actually prevent the disaster from happening in the first place, we're going to be spending, you know, bucket load of money after bucket load of money cleaning up the mess when we could have prevented it in the first place. So smart policy is getting the prevention side right, um, ensuring that people have energy choices that are cheaper, cleaner and greener. And that's what renewables offer. But we've got to have a plan to get out of coal and gas. And the major parties have the opposite. They want to open up more gas. Um, one of your key issues is fighting for integrity in our democracy. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what that entails? Because I feel like we haven't really heard too much from the other parties about, or the people we've had on the show at least. Absolutely. That. You know, in the last few months of Parliament, it's been quite an extraordinary term. And in that last few months of Parliament before we rose for the election, we couldn't go a week of Parliament by before another scandal broke. I back or the Ombudsman handing down some report about really dodgy behaviour from politicians, often corrupt behaviour cited. Uh, we saw this play out federally as well with moves for a federal ICAC and people really changed their vote based on who was going to offer 
to clean up politics and strengthen our integrity systems, and we have real problems in Victoria. For example, we need an independent parliamentary integrity commissioner who can really start improving the conduct by establishing the standards, but then also enforcing the behaviour according to those standards. At the moment, we don't have anything like that. We want to ensure that we stop that revolving door between ministers and staffers and these big corporations and lobbyists because we're finding that people leave their political position and then jump into those corporations. Essentially, what we see are asking for favours, those special cosy relationships. They call that grey gray corruption. So we know those that influence and association and those relationships open doors, make decisions happen quicker. Uh, and that's really worrying for democracy because it's about who you know, who you have access to, um, and that is a form of corruption as well. So we want to stop that revolving door by having cooling off periods. We want to make sure ministerial diaries are made public so we know who our public officials are meeting. And I think we'll be aghast because we find this often out through media leaks later, media doing investigations about who's met whom, when the decision was made, and you can join the dots to see something improper has happened, all because of those networks and that grey influence. So we've got a bill before Parliament that does all those things. We also need to ban donations from big corporations like the gambling industry and the property development industry because we see with huge amounts of money flowing from those industries to the major parties, we see those major parties then shelve really important reforms like a social housing levy because the industry said, sorry, we don't like it. And we know they're getting huge donations, so they're at the behest of those corporations. Mm. Um, So I've read that you worked as a social worker for a very long time before you came into politics. Um, Can you talk a bit about how that's influenced the type of views you have and the policies that you want Um, and kind of reflect on what it's like to have a quite like a connection with the community and what role that plays as you as a politician? Absolutely. Um, I really um, love my work as a social worker and in many ways my work continues in a different form. As a social worker, you're always thinking about... um, the issues you're confronting, how to support community, but how to prevent those issues from occurring in the first place so people don't have to go through that suffering um, and disadvantage. I used to work uh, with people seeking asylum and refuge. We saw really draconian government policies impact our clients daily. So when the government issued some some you know uh, new policy which would really impact our clients, they'd walk in the next day just devastated because um, their livelihoods, their fragile security was now put even at greater risk. And it just made really got to me and I thought, I've got to do something more, which is why I started pursuing politics more formally. And, you know, before I left the ASRC, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, just a little while before that, we were trying to get housing for clients and the housing situation had got so bad, and this was five years ago, we were getting calling housing agencies who were trying to do everything they can to support our clients, but saying, sorry, we don't have any more emergency accommodation. All we can offer clients now are sleeping bags to sleep outside. And to get to a point in a place like Victoria, which is one of the wealthiest places on the planet, to get to a point where we can't house people and support people, it made me really realise how bad the housing crisis has become. And we've done a lot of work in Parliament in the last five years to understand the crisis. And it's why we're putting forward really strong plans to solve housing affordability and end homelessness by building tens of thousands of new public and affordable homes. Yeah, great. So um, moving on to education, obviously an important topic for young people indeed, like us. <laughs> um, we've seen that public school teachers have only had a 2% pay rise in comparison to 8% inflation. Um, can you explain to us the Greens education policy, um, particularly with regards to how we're going to kind of um, balance that with like inflationary pressures? 
Indeed. So we've seen public education underfunded to an extraordinary level in Victoria, something to the tune of a billion dollars um, per year. Public schools are receiving less than they should be based on the needs of their students. And that adds up. There's a cumulative effect of billions of dollars that could have been going into supporting schools and students with the resources they need in the public sector that are just not happening. And in my electorate of Northern Metro, we have a number of schools that have been under-resourced for years, um, which limits the subject choices that students have. It affects the results. It affects the choices of being able to send kids to particular schools. There are so many problems that arise when you don't have the proper funding. So we want a massive injection of funding into our public schools to bring them up to the funding levels they need to have. And we're seeing with, for example, wages not keeping up with cost of living pressures. We've had a public sector wage gap in Victoria for a little while now, which is really suppressing wages and will mean a real income cut for people as the cost of living soars. It's not just keeping, it's just not keeping pace. We also know that professions like the teaching profession and a lot of public sector professions are women dominated professions. So it disproportionately impacts women who then receive less in their pay packets and have a harder time uh, making ends meet. And you know, we're finding, for example, that then links to the housing crisis. We're seeing that older women are the fastest growing cohort of people experiencing homelessness. And they're linked. You know, if you don't have pay equity and gender parity in all your policies, you start to see those cumulative effects. So we want to see a big injection of funding into our public schools. We want to make them genuinely free because we're seeing lots of gap fees now creep into public education, which means that um, people uh, don't have the means to pay for those gap fees and their um, kids, um, you know, really are impacted by that. Uh, so we want to see that um, equity come back to public schools and we want to remove that public sector wage cap that is suppressing wages. Yeah, and just, I guess, digressing to, I guess, a bit more of a societal look at things, um, the Greens of, the Victorian Greens at least, have mentioned the interest in four-day work weeks. Yes. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Um, to me, it sounds great, but I don't know how <laughs> like viable it is. Can you- Certainly. So we've just announced our plans for a trial of a four-day work week within the public service. And um, we want to start trialling some of these models to think about how it could work. We're seeing internationally a number of places starting to trial these models with really interesting results. They found that productivity stays the same, if not increases, when you have greater workplace flexibility. And we've seen, particularly over the last couple of years with the pandemic, how we think about work has changed. You know, we've had increased flexibility. People want different things from their working lives. They're also really exhausted after what happened over the last couple of years. And we need to start thinking about how do we make our workplaces more flexible and better suited to all types of work needs. Um, so we want to see a trial begin. And trials are really great places to test things out. If you've got a problem, you can troubleshoot it through a trial. Um, and what we're hopeful of is that... Um, you know, once we test that out, we'll be able to expand it. And we're seeing countries across the world starting to um, really engage with this idea. And uh, I think people really like the idea of more flexible workplaces. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, the idea of going into a four-day week sounds pretty good. Um, something that I think we're all a bit curious about, at least in this room, um, is like the behind the scenes of politics. So um, we've seen that the Greens is preferencing Labor in um, electorates across the state. Could you explain to us a bit of the behind the scenes of how you work out preference deals? So in terms of um, elections, like 
uh, voting systems are complex beasts and we have a particularly complex beast in Victoria with how the upper house voting system happens. But in general, um, so I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but um, in general, uh, you can recommend preference to preferences to voters um, through those how to vote cards, but essentially they're recommendations. Ultimately, it's in the hands of voters. And our message number one is voters decide where their votes are going to go. And you research your parties and think about how I'm going to order them when you order your ballot, because you've got to order all the boxes. The Greens take an approach of recommending preferences um, to voters based on how progressive the party is, because we want our parliaments to be as progressive as possible so we can work together on these really important reforms like climate action, housing affordability, integrity and more. The real complication in Victoria is with the upper house voting system. We have this complicated thing called the group voting ticket system, which means that you vote one above the line and then the party you put your vote next to, if they don't get elected because they don't have enough votes at the start, they decide where your vote goes. So essentially we're seeing, um, and in the last parliament, we had the biggest crossbench ever in Victorian political history with lots of parties elected on 1% or less of the vote, beating parties that got a much higher percentage of the vote because basically you can game the system and people pay a lot of money to be part of these preference deals. Um, and people are actually joining the race to manipulate the system, so much so that every other state um, and the federal parliament have now reformed that system. They don't use that system anymore because they realise it's really undemocratic. We've been pushing the government to reform it in Victoria, but unfortunately, Labor has not come to the party. We will keep pushing them. So we have a complicated system. Uh, so we're asking people to really research who you're voting for and um, you know vote for parties who you know your votes are going to flow to progressive parties because we have a chance to get a progressive upper house and lower house or we might have all these right-wing cross-bench parties with small percentages of the vote, essentially holding governments to ransom in the next parliament. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, just not even from a state level, but from a federal level as well, how kind of like parties just intertwine, especially in the upper house, and how some people are at the behest of the most smallest parties in, in all of Australia. But we'll leave that out for now. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, Smith Um leader of the Victorian Greens and going again in the Upper House in the North Metropolitan Region. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.